Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. There may be somebody in your life who has hurt you and hurt you deeply. And because they have hurt you, they owe you. You may have a legal right to demand repayment. You may have a legal right to hold on to that debt that they owe you. But you have no moral right to hold on to it if you have received God's forgiveness in your life. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. At some point in our lives, we've all been hurt by someone we love. And whenever that happens, we're faced with an important decision. Will we let go of that offense? Or will we allow it to make us bitter? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress draws an important lesson on forgiveness from the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David. At Pathway to Victory, our ministry extends far beyond these daily Bible teaching programs. In addition to radio and television, we're constantly looking for creative ways to come alongside you in your walk with God. And I'm especially eager to send you a copy of my brand new children's book. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Jesus Christ is the only hope for our nation and our world. And it's our duty as parents and grandparents to ignite this flame of hope in the hearts of the children we love. This entertaining and colorful book will equip your children with God's truth. Now, here's the best part. In addition to supporting this ministry's expansion, your gift today will be automatically doubled in size because of the Gospel Advance Matching Challenge. During this short period, this matching challenge is active. Whatever amount you choose to give will have twice the impact until we reach the goal of $500,000. That means your gift today of, say, $100 is matched and becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000. Some are prepared to give even more. Now, the deadline is July 4th. And because of this matching challenge, we'll be positioned to expand into exciting new territories with Pathway to Victory. And as a result, these funds will fuel our primary mission, which is to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. I'll say more about these opportunities just after my message. But right now, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 to consider another favorite story of Jesus. I titled today's message, The Freedom of Forgiveness. One of my favorite stories is a story Gary Enrig tells. It's about the man that was bitten by a dog that had rabies. Now, the man was rushed to the hospital and tests revealed that he too had contracted the dread disease of rabies. This was back in the day before there was any cure for rabies, so the doctor had the unfortunate task of informing his patient that his disease was terminal and incurable. We'll try to do everything we can to make you comfortable, the doctor said, but I strongly suggest you get your affairs in order as quickly as possible. Well, the man was stunned. He didn't know what to do. And finally, after a few moments, he summoned the strength to get a pen and a piece of paper, and he began to write furiously. About an hour later, the doctor came back to check on his patient, and the man was still writing. The doctor said, well, I'm glad to see that you're getting your will together. The man looked up at the doctor and said, Doc, this ain't no will. 
It's a list of all the people I'm gonna bite before I die. <laughs> you know, most of us carry a list like that in our minds, don't we? People, people would like to bite, people would like to get even with before we die. That list may include a friend who has wronged you. Perhaps it includes a business associate who has cheated you. It may include a mate who has betrayed you. The fact is all of us are going to get hurt and we're going to get hurt deeply in life. We really don't have any choice about that. But we do have a choice about how we respond to those hurts. We can hold on to them, we can turn them over and over in our minds until they metastasize into a tumor of bitterness. That's what most people do. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Beware that none of you come short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. As a pastor, I've seen through the years that unresolved anger, bitterness, destroys individuals, it destroys families, it destroys entire churches. What is the alternative to holding on to offenses? Well, the alternative is to let go of them, to forgive them. And by the way, that's what the word forgive means. It means to release, to let go of an, of an offense. Forgiveness is the preferred response. It's better to turn the other cheek than to break the other person's jaw. We know that. We know we should forgive. But it's like C.S. Lewis said one time, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have somebody to forgive. Then it gets very, very difficult. How do we let go of those offenses committed against us? And why should we let go of those offenses? Jesus is going to answer that question in the parable we're looking at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 15, as we talk about the freedom of forgiveness. Now, like all the parables, this is a parable that must be understood in context. And the context is actually beginning in verse 15, in which Jesus talks about how to deal with sin in the church. When somebody is involved in blatant, open, serious sin in the church, what are we to do? Contrary to what most people say, we're not supposed to overlook it. We're not supposed to say, well, everybody sins and who's to cast the first stone. We're not to say we're a church of grace and therefore we're not going to judge other people. The most unloving thing you can do is to allow a fellow Christian to continue in sin. To continue to allow Satan to have his way in his life. The Bible says we are to lovingly but firmly confront those who engage in sin, not to judge them, to condemn them, but to help restore them. And a failure to do that not only hurts the person, it hurts the church as well, to allow blatant sin to go unchallenged in the church. And so in verse 15, Jesus discusses this whole area of church discipline. How do you deal with a sinning Christian? And he says, if you see a brother who's involved in sin, go to him in private, first of all. And if he listens to you, you've won a brother. But if he refuses to listen, take two or three spiritual believers with you. And if he still refuses to repent, then tell it to the whole church. Not for a gossip section, but to allow the whole church to begin praying for his or her restoration. And if he still won't listen, the Bible says you're to turn him out of the church. 
Again, to let him know what a serious sin he's involved in and also to maintain the purity of the congregation. That's verses 15 through 20. But then beginning in verse 21, the story or the the, the, the subject changes. Look at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Notice the subtle change here. Peter's not talking about sin in the church in general. He's talking about personal offenses. How do I deal with people who sin against me? Am I to forgive that person up to seven times? Now, most of us are tempted to think, well, Peter, you dunce. Seven times, everybody knows that's not the right answer. Everybody knows you're to continue to forgive. But understand, when Peter lived, there was a popular rabbi who taught, you are to forgive people three times, but the fourth time, you're not to forgive. And so Peter, having hung around the Lord for a couple of years, understood that Jesus had a different standard, a higher standard. So when he said, shall we forgive up to seven times? He was being exceedingly generous. By the way, are you willing to forgive the same offense seven times? Up to seven times? Peter was being generous. And of course, notice the Lord's response. He says in verse 22, I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. That was an expression that meant we're to forgive an unlimited amount of times. Why should we do that? Why should we hang that kick me sign around my neck uh, for 490 times and beyond? And how do we do that? Now, Jesus answers those questions with this parable. Look at it with me beginning in verse 23. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let me give you the Reader's Digest version of what's going on here. There was a king who was apparently having a serious cash flow problem. He needed money and he needed it quickly. So he decided to call in everybody who owed him money. And he started with the person who owed him the most money. It happened to be a slave who owed him 10,000 talents. Now remember from last time, a talent is about 80 pounds of gold. So think of this. This slave owed the king 10,000 talents of gold. 10,000 times 80 pounds of gold. I did a rough calculation. That would be about $6 billion. Here's a slave that owes the king $6 billion. You have to stop here and say, how in the world could a slave earning 16 cents a day, that was the going wage, how could he end up owing $6 billion? Did he play the lottery too often or, you know, max out his MasterCard? What in the world is going on here? Remember, this is a parable. Jesus is using an exaggeration here to say, here is a slave who owes a debt he could never possibly repay in 10,000 lifetimes. So he has this debt he cannot repay. And look at it beginning in verse 25. But since he could not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. Since he couldn't repay, the only natural thing was for the king to throw him, his wife, and his children into prison. That was the right thing. That was the legal thing to be done. Verse 26, the slave, therefore, 
falling down, prostrated himself before the king, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. I will repay you everything. Can you imagine a sight any more pitiful? Here's the slave who owes $6 billion, and he kneels down before the king and says, King, if you will just have mercy on me, I'll start paying you back. You can take a little bit out of my check every week, and I'll repay all of it. There was never any way that could happen. He owed a debt he could never repay. And the Bible says in verse 27, And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, and he released him, and he forgave him the debt. What a perfect picture of forgiveness to release, to let go of a very real debt that somebody owes you. Now let's stop here and make the obvious analogy. The king represents God. The slave represents us. The Bible says all of us have sinned against God. And because of that, we have a debt we owe God, a debt we could never repay. You see, when you and I sin, we create a debt obligation to God. For the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And how pitiful, how ridiculous to think there's anything we could ever do to pay, repay that sin debt. We owe a debt we could never pay in 10,000 lifetimes. And the Bible says for that reason, God has every right to sentence us to the prison of hell for all eternity. That's what we deserve. But God in His mercy looked down on our need. And when He saw the great need, the great debt we owed for no other reason than the great love that He has for you and me, He decided to pay the debt Himself. To take the loss himself. And that's what he did when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, came to pay our debt for us. Remember the song, we owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's exactly what Christ did for us. And when we trust in him as our savior, God wipes the slate clean. He writes over our debt paid in full. But this parable is not so much about God forgiving us as it is about our willingness to forgive other people. This is where the story really gets interesting. Look at verse 28. But that slave went out and he found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe me. Now, 100 denarii, a denarius was 16 cents, one day's wage. So, 100 denarii would be about $16. Perhaps it happened like this. Here is this first slave. He has been forgiven a $6 billion debt. And so, he walks out of the palace a forgiven person. Can you imagine the relief he felt when he had that $6 billion debt taken off of his shoulders. And I imagine as he walked out of the palace and he walked down the street, he replayed the king's words over and over in his mind. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven of that debt. He kept reliving that moment. And then he began to think to himself, debt? Debt? You know, come to think of it, there's somebody who owes me some money as well. And so he goes out and he finds this slave who owes him a debt of $16. And he grabs him by the neck and begins to choke him, and he says, pay back everything you owe me and pay it back now. How did the fellow slave respond? Look at verse 29. So his fellow slave fell down 
and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. Do those words sound familiar? It's exactly the same thing the first slave said to the king. Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. But unlike the king, this first slave refused to show mercy to his fellow slave. Verse 30, he was unwilling, however, and he went and he threw him in prison until he should pay back everything. Now, when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. And they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I had mercy on you? And so his Lord moved with anger, handed the first slave over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. And then Jesus added the zinger to us in verse 35, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I said the relationship between the first and the second slave is a picture of our relationship to those who wrong us. I want you to notice something here. This first slave had a legal right to demand his $16 back. He had a legal right. That was a very real debt that that second slave owed. He had a legal right to ask for repayment, but he had no moral right to ask for it, given the great debt from which he had been released. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. There may be somebody in your life who has hurt you and hurt you deeply. And because they have hurt you, they owe you. You may have a legal right to demand repayment. You may have a legal right to hold on to that debt that they owe you. But you have no moral right to hold on to it if you have received God's forgiveness in your life. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the difference between how much somebody has hurt you and how much you have hurt God is the difference between $16 and $6 billion. That's the point of this parable. As I look at this passage, I notice three principles about forgiveness that emerge from this story. I want you to jot them down. First of all, Jesus reminds us that forgiveness is granted, not earned. It's granted, not earned. Perhaps the single greatest misconception about forgiveness is that people have to earn forgiveness before you can grant it to them. That forgiveness is conditional. No, Jesus says forgiveness is unconditional. We grant it, we give it to people whether they deserve it or not. You see, that's what happened with the king. This first slave didn't earn his forgiveness. He didn't pay back what was owed to him. The king forgave him. He released him of his debt unconditionally. Why did he do that? Why was he willing to do that? Well, Jesus said in verse 27, it was because the king felt compassion for him. I certainly think that's part of it. I'm not sure it's all of it, though. I think the king was a very practical man. He realized that he was holding an account receivable that was basically worthless. Six billion dollars from a slave? Man, how could that slave ever repay him? 
And did the king want to pay the, spend the rest of his life going to the treasury every morning and asking his accountant, well, did the slave send in the 16 cents this week? <laughs> he knew it wasn't worth it. And so he decided to discharge the debt, to write it off, to take the loss himself so that he could get on with his life. And that's a very practical reason, by the way, for forgiving other people. I think a lot of us have difficulty with forgiveness. We hold on to those debts that people owe us because we don't realize, truthfully, the account receivable we're holding is worthless. There's really not that much people can do to make up for those deep wounds they've inflicted upon us. For example, what could anybody ever do to make up for a child that was killed by a drunken driver? Is there anything that driver could do to replace the loss of your child? What could anybody do to make up for a marriage destroyed by adultery? What could anybody ever do to make up for a childhood innocence that was stolen through sexual abuse? And that's why the Bible says forgiveness is something we grant to other people. We don't wait for them to earn it. Think about it. If you wait to forgive somebody until they ask for it, if you wait to forgive somebody until they earn or deserve forgiveness, you have tied yourself to that other person. The person who has hurt you, you are tied to them for the rest of your life. Have you ever been to a picnic before where they did those three-legged races? Remember the three-legged races? You know how funny they are? You tie your leg to the leg of your partner and you hobble together toward the finish line and everybody laughs because it's so funny watching those two people tied together. One person cannot travel any faster or any farther than the other person is willing to travel. Listen to me, when you refuse to forgive somebody, it's like you're tying yourself to your offender. If you make your forgiveness dependent on what they do or don't do, you are becoming their partner. You can travel no farther in life than they're willing to travel. But forgiveness is the process by which you free yourself from your offender. Forgiveness is not denial. Forgiveness is not rationalization. When you forgive somebody, what you're saying is, this person has hurt me. They owe me because of what they've done to me. But I am choosing to release them of their obligation toward me, not because they deserve it or have asked for it. I'm choosing to release myself from them so I can be free to get on with my life. Forgiveness is something we grant. It's not something that is earned. We only had time to cover the first of these three principles of forgiveness. So please be sure to join us again tomorrow when our study in Matthew 18 continues. And before our time is gone today, I want to leave you with a true story that Patty shared with me. It fits beautifully with today's lesson on the freedom of forgiveness. Patty listens to Pathway to Victory in Colorado, where her husband was in the final stages of a terminal illness. He had gone through his entire life without receiving God's gift of forgiveness. And finally, at age 80, this man was introduced to a book I had written on heaven. Together, Patty and her husband read the entire book, cover to cover. In the midst of learning about heaven and hell, this man finally made his decision to follow Jesus. Here's what Patty wrote. Pastor Jeffress, he's not only asked God for forgiveness, but he asked me for forgiveness for all the hell he put me through in our 36 years of marriage. He spent most of that night praying. I forgave him and asked him to forgive me as well. 
and instantly we felt love for each other like never before. Well, not long after that beautiful moment, this dear man succumbed to his illness. And Patty said, the night before he died, he told his daughter that he was going to see Jesus. Patty, we are touched by your powerful story. And I'd especially like to thank those who give generously to Pathway to Victory, because God is using your gifts to touch families like this one. I'm boldly inviting you to join me in bringing light into the darkness while there's still time. Your generous gift will make all the difference. Now, here's David to explain how your gift today becomes doubled in size. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous year-end donation towards our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. It's the brand new illustrated children's book by Dr. Robert Jeffress. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll send you the complete unedited CD and DVD sets from our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. Perfect for your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. And don't forget, because of our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, your gift to Pathway to Victory will be matched and therefore doubled in impact. So be sure to get in touch right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time when Dr. Jeffress concludes his message on the freedom of forgiveness. That's Wednesday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.